0: Welcome to the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ podcast. Please enjoy the following study. Thank you, Brother Tanner, for those wonderful songs and prayers that were offered in my behalf and those uh, that are in need of our prayer and the offers of thanksgiving that we've had to God have been a wonderful service thus far. As we continue our uh, discussions uh, off and on this year—not every single message, but off and on this year—about becoming more like Jesus every day. I want to talk about this this idea of of the journey of us growing as disciples. You know, many of us watched the Super Bowl here a few weeks ago. In fact, there were 113 million people around the world that uh, tuned in to the Super Bowl. And what do we talk about? I, I bet if I took a poll, not very many people, probably less than 50% could even tell you the two teams that were in the Super Bowl, but I bet we can talk about the ads that were on the Super Bowl. And there were several of them that were memorable. Some of them are utterly forgettable. It was the most expensive Super Bowl time ever, $7 million for 30 seconds. $7 million for 30 seconds. The one that I remember the best is the one for the streaming service Tubi. It was the one where I nearly strangled my wife because she was messing with the TV. Remember that when it came up? Because it looked like that the TV was was changing in other words it brought up the screen where you could select different things and it wasn't her at all. It was that was part of the ad. And as as when we all calmed down, okay, maybe I calmed down, then I was like that's kind of neat. That kind of got my attention. The other one that's most talked about there were there were two ads that, that ran, uh, and they were the same. There were they were the ones that made the effort to tell America about Jesus. It was called He Gets Us. He Gets Us. They both showed scenes of conflict that stirred emotions. You could tell there were people from different points of view, to put it mildly, that were screaming at each other. I mean, you could see the veins on their neck. They were just they were still still photos. But you could just sense the emotion. You could sense the tension in those ads. And according to the magazine Christianity Today, this is thought to be the biggest ever Christian advertising campaign ever. Uh, the, The video ads have accumulated millions of views on YouTube. And it's actually a national campaign that's going to run through at least the end of the year on on television. Now, you've probably seen billboards and and things like that uh, running. And although it's not without some controversy, it's an effort to get a new generation of unchurched people to ask and think about the question, Who is Jesus? Jesus once asked a question about his identity. Who do people say that I, that the Son of Man is? And interestingly, he got several responses. The responses that he got were John the Baptist, Elijah, and Jeremiah. I actually got four answers because they said, or one of the prophets. They kind of lumped them all in there together. Isn't that interesting? That people would identify the living Jesus with dead prophets, because at that time, John the Baptist had already been killed apparently. But there's one crucial question when it comes to the identity of Jesus, and that is, who do you say that Jesus is? If Jesus were to ask you that question, what would your answer be? who do you say that I am? Because that's Jesus' next question to Peter, and we're going to get into that here in just a minute. But he asked that question of them, well, who is Jesus to you? Is another way of saying it. Who is Jesus to you? Well, there are people in the world of the Muslim faith who believe that he is a highly regarded prophet that's that's their belief on Jesus you know we we like to say in 21st century America and probably longer ago than that we say Jesus Christ like that's his first and last name actually Jesus is his first name Christ is his position as Messiah or his title as Messiah it has a, 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 a it's it's rife with with meaning it's it's deep and rich with meaning so the Muslims don't call him Jesus the Christ of course they just call him Jesus of Nazareth perhaps In Judaism, they recognize that Jesus existed. They believe that his mother was Mary. He's respected, but not the Messiah. Just like the people in the first century, they were like, who are you? Who are you really? You say all these things about yourself, but who are you? That question is still being asked 2,000 years later. Hinduism and Buddhism both believe that Jesus was a holy man, an enlightened, gifted teacher, and perhaps one of the gods. And if you know anything about either one of those religions, they have a lot of gods, like thousands and thousands of them. As did the Romans. So that's what some groups believe that he is. And this these ideas are pretty much embraced by many today who maybe don't even identify with one of these sets of belief, they believe that Jesus was a good man, that he actually existed. Most people would would say from a historical standpoint that that uh, that he actually existed. But here's Peter's answer. Peter's answer was this, you are the Christ, meaning the Messiah. And all of the meaning that that is full of All of the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, who he would be, where he would come from, what he would do, what he meant for mankind. Not only are you the Messiah, Peter said, you're the Son of the living God. He recognized his deity, his position, his role, and his deity. That's what Peter said. Now, look at Jesus' response to that. Jesus' response to Peter's response to his question was, and I also say to, the, the, to you that, that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now, I don't want to do an in-depth study of all the Greek words in here, but there are, there are, there are a couple things that I want to point out real quick. Peter is not the rock upon which Jesus was going to build his church. There are two different words, Greek words, Petros, Petros. Some religions believe that you are Peter and you are the first pope. You are Peter. You are the rock upon which I will build this church. That's not what Jesus is saying. This rock is his Confession of faith. This rock is his saying, you are the Messiah, Jesus. You are the son of the living God. That's the rocks that Jesus said, this confession of faith is what I'm building my church upon. That is the confession of faith that we all have made and continue to make day after day after we make Jesus our Lord day after day as we live to become more like him, that's the firm foundation. That's the bedrock. Not the man Peter. As important of a man as he was, and I dare say is, he is not the foundation of the church, brothers and sisters. Peter's confession that Jesus is the Christ is so important because it sets up in Peter's life and it should on our lives, what's most important. What is the the filter upon which we will make decisions? What is the foundation upon which we will build our life? Is it our abilities? Is it our income? Is it where we live? Is it who our family is? Is it upon our, our profession? Is it, there's a lot of things that we can build our foundation upon that Jesus would refer, to, would refer to as sand, meaning it shifts, goes away. Sand, it can be very hard. But when water comes in, into play and wind comes into play, it's blown around and moved around. So Peter is saying, this is the foundation. So my question to you is, what is your foundation built on? Because Jesus says here, the gates of Hades. the King James says the gates of hell. It's really best translated as, as, as Hades, meaning death. Death will not prevail against it. He was foreshadowing his own death. But he was, in a a way, foreshadowing Peter and the disciples' death as well. He didn't say this at this time. There were other, there's other places that he reveals this, other places that it's recorded that he's talking to the the apostles about their ultimate demise. But basically what he was saying is, even though they kill us all, my kingdom, my church, this foundation will not be eroded. It will not go away. Jesus is our Savior, you see, and we have committed our lives to follow him. I think it's interesting that that Paul, in in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, what he's talking about there, our our lives being a, a living sacrifice. He's not referring to us as staking ourselves out on a table of somehow and giving our life in a physical way. That would be giving our death. He's saying we're giving our lives, meaning our day-to-day activities, our day-to-day lives, our day-to-day decisions that we make, how to choose to use our time, our talents, and our treasure. How do you use those things? Is it in alignment with and in keeping with God's word? Or is it just what you want to do and you don't think about it? Or is it, I know what God says and I ain't doing that. You see, that's living in rebellion. And Brother Joe had a prayer this morning that we would not live in rebellion. He said, I I pray that you would take our spirit of rebellion from us. That might not be the exact quote from what he said, but that was effectively what he was saying. And that's a wonderful prayer. Whether you're talking about it as a country or you're talking about us as an individual. What we really are fighting against is saying, I want to do it myself, and I want to do it my way. Look, I struggle with that. I struggle with that not because I'm shaking my fist at God saying, I don't want to do it your way. I just ignore it. It doesn't come to mind. It, 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 sometimes I'm doing my own thing, and I'm like, wait, what am I doing? Why, why am I not purposely... In alignment with God's will and his and his word, I need to change my attitude. I need to change what I'm doing. I need to change the the way that I'm interacting with people. I need to conform to the will of God. Matthew here, though, tells us in Matthew chapter 16 what it means to follow Jesus on this journey. So I want to go through at, at the um suggestion I might say of my brother Chris who, when I was going through this. Now this may feel like a part two and in part it is. We looked last time at Mark 8. We're looking at Matthew's account of this very same occurrence and there's a couple of of differences you may notice in what Matthew recorded. But I want us to to look at it from a a little bit of a a different point of view. So what it means to be a follower of of Jesus is to follow his interests. Hey, what is he interested in? I should probably be interested in that too. You might say, "Well, I'm I'm not interested in those things." Well, okay, that's cool. Are you a follower of Jesus or are you a follower of something else or someone else? Notice what Jesus says here. From that or what what Matthew records that Jesus says, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem Suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. But he turned, uh, he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Jesus here is communicating what I would call his kingdom mission. He's he's saying, here's the plan, boys. Okay? He says, let me get back there and go to that one. So he says, here's my plan. So you could say that Jesus is a teaching Savior. He's not keeping this to himself. He's revealing it to his disciples. Now, he does tell them, Don't tell anybody else it's not time yet to spread it more broadly. Basically, in my opinion, what he was saying is, I gotta help you guys, and maybe there were some women that were following him too in terms of his his inner circle, the disciples at that time. But I gotta help you understand it before we can go live with this. Okay? We got to do an off-Broadway show before we can have on the big show, the big lights. I don't know. We'll have you want to think about it. But he's also a suffering saver. He says, here's the things that are going to happen. Suffer many things from the elders, chiefs, uh, uh, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed. He was talking about what his experience was going to be. And then he would say, and be raised the third day. He didn't, he didn't just say, yes, I'm going to suffer and die. He gave them the rest of the story right there, early on. He's telling them what's going to happen. Go to Jerusalem, suffer, die, but be raised. Peter goes from making the confession of a lifetime to telling Jesus what he will and won't do. That blows me away. Still to this day, I'm just, wow. I mean, he goes from one extreme to the other, in, in, in Matthew's account and the other uh, gospel writers, like in the next breath almost. I don't know if it was separated by a, a lot of time. I don't know. there's anything else that happened in between. But the next thing that's recorded, he says, he's rebuking Jesus. The response from Jesus, though, is that that will not be tolerated. You do not tell Jesus what to do. He rebukes Peter in the strongest way. He calls him Satan. Now I look at that and I look at my own life and I say, what am I telling Jesus that I will or won't do? What am I telling Jesus, no, I got a better idea. How about if we do it this way? Because my preconceived notions, Lord, are better than yours. Isn't that what I'm saying? And isn't that rebellion? Isn't that like the definition of rebellion? Now, none of us in this room likely, and nobody listening likely, is that overt about it. Peter was pretty thinking the overt about it. Like, no, rebuking him. That's a strong that Greek word rebuke is a pretty strong word. But what in what ways am am I doing it? And perhaps you are effectively doing the same thing just in a passive-aggressive way. Because when we serve self, when we don't consider what it is that God wants us to do, when we don't consider His will, it's the same thing. You know, we spent two years going through the book of Isaiah. Chapter by chapter, effectively. And over and over, what you saw there is you are in rebellion. You are in rebellion against God. Were they actually shaking their fist at God and saying, no, we're not going to do it your way? The vast majority of the time, it was it was just easier. It was more convenient. They were conforming to the gods of the, of, the, of the place or the time that where they were at. They were conforming to the political expediency at the time. They were, um, it, it, they were just following old patterns. They were following an old habit. And the, the, and the prophet over and over and over called that rebellion. You see, the interest of discipleship is always the Jesus agenda. As CEO of my little firm, there I listen to my, my teammates. I want their input. Most of them are smarter than I am. I want to know what are you thinking? But at the end of the day, there ain't but one agenda. And it's mine. Jesus has an agenda for you. He has a plan for you. He has a desire to benefit you spiritually. Whether that manifests itself physically, financially, and otherwise, is not necessarily part of the plan. It may be. It might not be. But his agenda is to make you his follower because he knows that's what's in your best interest. That's what's in my best interest. He goes on and talks about this carrying the cross in verse number 24. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me. Now, this is right after Peter said what he said. Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense uh, because you are thinking of the ways of man, not the ways of of God. And and then he's, he's saying that to Peter. Then he says more broadly. If any of you want to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If we're ever under the impression that Christianity is the place where all of our problems get solved and we are just able to feel good all the time, we are living in a delusion. Because the Bible never says that. It says, these are the precepts, these are the tenets that will make your life easier. Because it's hard to kick against the pricks. Paul was told. It's, it's, the Proverbs is full of, of uh, exhortations that the foolish do it this way, the wise do it this way. The foolish have these downsides, the wise have these benefits. Those proverbs are not meant to be 100% of the time in everybody's life it's always going to work this way they are those are general precepts and if you listen to what Jesus says here about taking up his cross and following me today we think about a cross as something you wear as as jewelry or maybe you have it as a decoration on your uh, wall we have it on the front of of this Podium here as kind of a reminder, but it's it's softened. They knew what the cross meant. He was talking, he he might as well have said, and the well, you take up your guillotine and follow me. Okay, now that means something a little bit closer to us, right? Guillotine was actually legal to use in France until the 1970s. 1970s. Legal to use. You might think firing squad. You might think gas chamber. You might think some other form of of torture and death that might mean something more to a 21st century audience. That's what Jesus was saying. He wasn't fooling around and talking about some soft idea. He was talking about a form of torture that the Romans, um, some say invented, some say they, they got it from previous cultures, but they certainly perfected the art. He was talking about his death. What he's saying is that following Jesus is a costly endeavor. It may not cost our life. It likely will not cost you your life in 21st century America. In terms of you dying physically but it should cost you your life in terms of you dying to your old self spiritually. And see, this is what makes it hard for many to follow. Because it's about self-denial. Self-denial. What is it that you deny yourself? What is it that, that, that part of you says, I want... Or even I need, and you say, you know what? Because of the cause of Christ, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna buy that. I'm not going to be with that person. I'm not going to take that job. I'm not going to go to that school. Uh, just let's what other choices do you do you have that you make on a day to day basis? I'm not talking about the big choices. I'm not talking about. You know, these like, should I or should I not marry this person? Or should I or shouldn't I, should I not move halfway across the country to take this job? These big decisions, those don't happen very often, do they? It's the day to day, small decisions that we make. Are you denying self not to be? Self-deprecating and and, and self-flagellation, right? Where we we know of of people in in the past that would actually take a little, um, a a small uh, whip and basically beat themselves because they thought that was piety. They thought that was the way you get close to God. That ain't it. The Bible never talks about that. What it talks about is when it comes between your desires and God's, what are you going to choose? What are you going to choose? This is what makes it so hard. You see, it's also about carrying the cross. Maybe not physically. Likely not physically. But figuratively and spiritually taking up His cause. His burden. His opportunities, but also His challenges. And then finally, it's about following Jesus wherever He leads us. Now, we often think about that. We sing a song about it. I'll follow Him into a foreign field someday. Maybe. Maybe that's what you're called to do. Likely not. But where is Jesus calling you to go today? What's He calling you to go today? Who is he calling you to be with? Who is he calling you to serve? Who is he calling you to have a tender word for? There's lots of opportunities day after day to conform ourselves to the way of the Lord that don't necessarily involve some major decision. He's also called us to experience his reward, though. Look in verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? And it's, it's easy to think about this as life and death. A binary decision. Yes or no? Alive, dead. Physically, it's easy to think about that. Oh, sure, I'd give my life for the Lord. If it came down to it, you bet. Okay, good, awesome. Now, what about the boring things that you're going to do today that don't involve a gun or a sword or whatever at your head? What about the more mundane, decisions. Because if you lose your life, meaning you hide your life in me, Jesus says, you'll find it, your life. But if you are holding on to your way, if in your desire to be authentic, that's one of those words that's been hijacked by our society, your, be your authentic self, What are we really saying? What we're really saying is you don't need to change. You do you, boo. You be you. Jesus is saying, I don't think so. Because Jesus is saying, compare where you are to my holiness. And Peter said, I am undone. He fell down prostrate. Prostrate at Jesus' feet and said, I'm undone. When we compare ourselves to the holiness of of God, what is your response? Do you ignore it? Do you shut that off and ignore it? Or do you say, Lord, there are changes I need to make in my life to conform to your image? You see, Jesus offers us life that is really life. It's not YOLO. It's not you only live once, a saying that's really meant to free us from constraints. It's free to free us from worries about consequences. What it's really saying is, don't think about the consequences today because that's in the future. And I can tell you right now about Loud environments that I've been in, in work and in, in, in concert halls. Where my tinnitus is telling me, huh, there's a consequence for that. Jesus said in John 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Now, sometimes this gets um, translated or, or uh, I don't know, hijacked into he's come to make you rich physically. But it's more than just that. You see, the world cannot give us what Jesus does. and I've got a short list here of things that Jesus gives us that the world cannot. One of them is guidance to the life that God has given us. This life that Jesus came to give us more abundantly, this relationship with God, Jesus is here to guide us into that. He's here to give us grace so that we don't have to be anxious. Mercy, so that we can move on after we mess up. After we serve self instead of Him, He's there and offers forgiveness. He's offered us the Holy Spirit to help us in our prayers. As eloquent as some of the prayers are that are offered, they're not as eloquent as the Holy Spirit can make them in the ears of our Father. You see, Jesus gives us God's presence, which brings us comfort. And He also gives us the power to avoid the traps of the enemy. Because there's lots of traps out there, but they're not hidden if we know what to look for. They stand out bright. They stand out easily against the backdrop. But if all we want to see is the world, those traps are hidden. We don't don't see them. But when we want to see the way of the Lord, those traps become much easier to see. You see sometimes Christians are trying to live worldly lives while clinging to some form of religion. And the famous evangelist Billy Sunday he said that people have just enough religion to make them miserable. You see discipleship does have a reward in the life here and eternal. What reward do we have if we chase the world? Well Jesus answers the question that we just read there in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, he says, What will a man give in exchange for his soul? As if to say, look how valuable your soul is in comparison to anything and everything else that you see around you. Jesus had that very decision to make when he was brought up after his 40 days of, of solitude and of and of, of fasting. He was taken up and given the opportunity to have it all. And he basically said, no, my soul is more valuable than that. My relationship with my father is more important than that. Finally, we want to look at what Jesus says here about hope. He says, for the son of man will, will come in the glory of his father with his angels And then he will reward each according to his works. That can provide us hope. Now, you can also look at this as a warning. You can also look at this as you will be rewarded according to your works. What will your works be? Now, I'm not saying that we are justified by our works. I am saying that our works are indicative of our servitude to God. You can't think one thing and do another and be pleasing to God. There has to be alignment. And as the disciples were hearing this, the the, the resurrection, the coming of the church, um, His death, His resurrection, the coming of the church, those, those were all to come. But they were imminent. For us, the return of Christ may be today. It may not be in our lifetime. But we anticipate that. That we anticipate the feast for which we wait. Come, share the Lord. So, in conclusion, it is true that He gets us. Jesus gets us. But on the other hand, are we spending our lives getting Him? Do we get Him? In 2003... In August, in Midtown Manhattan, New York, the church there called the Church of the Holy Cross, it was broken into twice. The first time, they broke in, stole a money box that was there by the votive candle. You, know, you put, a, put a coin in, you can light a candle and, um, and say a prayer or whatever. That's, that's their thing. They stole that money box. Three weeks later, the church was broken in again, but this time, they, they took something a lot more valuable they stole a four-foot-tall, 200-pound plaster statue of Jesus. Now, that thing was bolted to the cross. They undid the bolts and took Jesus. So when the caretaker of the church was interviewed, God by the name of David St. James, he said, they just decided, we're going to leave the cross and take Jesus. We're going to leave the cross And take Jesus. That's what the man said. Now that's poignant. Have you done that? Have you taken, have you unbolted Jesus from the cross and taken Jesus? Maybe you took even little baby Jesus and left the cross. Left the difficult part. Left the part that causes you to look in your heart and need to change. And took something that was much more comfortable and comforting and easy. You see, if we want to have Jesus, we have to have the cross as well. So what is discipleship? This word that we throw around a lot. Well, it means to follow His interests, not our own. It means to carry His cross. And it's not always easy. To experience His reward in the real, in the now, and in the eternal. And finally, holding on to hope. Discipleship means holding on to hope, especially when things are not going well, because Jesus is coming again. So who is Jesus to you? Who is He to you? Can we tell by looking at what you study? at what you pray, who you meet with, whom you serve, how you serve, what your attitude is like, what your decisions are. Can we tell by looking at your checkbook and your calendar who Jesus is to you? If the answer to that in your life is, I don't know. That's an okay answer. Let's work toward that together. Let's work toward that as a body. If your answer to that is, my answer is confused or I've been in rebellion, Jesus says, I stand here with open arms. I stand here willing and ready to forgive And to repair the relationship. But it has to start with you. Because when we recognize that we are separated from Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, who moved? Because He didn't. It's us that moved. It's us that changed. It's us that strayed. It's us that listened to the world. Instead of listening to His teachings. If we can help you this morning in your walk, if we can help you to become more Christ-like, to walk with Jesus every day, let us know as we sing this song. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For further information about our church, please go to normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com, normanchurch.com. Calm!